The title of this series comes from an experience a friend of mine had with a professor. Uh, This professor asked him to memorize a handful of biblical passages for a class, and and when they finally showed up and he said, well, why did you ask us to memorize this scripture rather than read other books and do other assignments? The professor said, because I want you to know what truth sounds like. I want you to know what truth sounds like, as if floating along with the currents of the age will lead us to believe all kinds of lies. Tonight, we're looking at a key New Testament text on perseverance. Perseverance. What does truth sound like? Truth sounds like discomfort and suffering are not only means of growth, but means of love. Discomfort and suffering are often the very things we persevere through in order to grow and in order to love. Truth sounds like growth is impossible without some discomfort. Truth sounds like God is committed to growing our capacity for love and therefore our capacity to suffer with others and shoulder each other's burdens. But in our culture, we often equate comfort with goodness and think discomfort means something wrong is happening to us. Sometimes we even equate discomfort with injustice, as if when I'm going through a hard season, something unjust is happening to me. Now, that may be the case. It is certainly true in the history of the world that people suffer from oppression and injustice. It is certainly true that much suffering is because of evil forces, and it is certainly true that we suffer because of sickness and death in this world. But to suggest that all discomfort and suffering is intrinsically bad, or are intrinsically bad, would be a mistake. Imagine for a moment someone decides to try to get in better shape by running for the first time in years. And as they go for their first run, they will soon discover a shortness of breath, which is very uncomfortable. And if they're committed to comfort, if they have no tolerance for discomfort, and they stop running because they think signs of discomfort mean I should stop whatever I'm doing, then they will never increase their capacity or the capacity of their cardiovascular system to take in and pump oxygen through their body more efficiently. And if that person were to somehow miraculously press on even though they value comfort over all things... And through fits and starts of sprinting and walking and hands on knees and heaving air, they will inevitably, through perseverance and and discomfort, grow stronger. But of course, in the next day or two, their muscles will be sore, and if they interpret that as a bad sign, and so they decide never to work out again in such a way that their muscles are sore, it will be incredibly difficult for them to get in shape, you see. Not all discomfort or suffering is intrinsically bad. I assume we all know that in order to increase our body's health and capacity for greater things, we need to stretch it. I'm making that assumption. I'm trying to start with something that I think we probably all know commonly, that we need to actually put our body to the test a little bit in order for it to grow. We need to introduce some kinds of discomfort as we grow stronger There's actually just a general rule, though, about our entire lives. 
that increasing your capacity for discomfort results in an increasing in increasing your capacity for comfort. So I'm gonna say it again: increasing your capacity for discomfort also increases your capacity for comfort. So now I've already said it increases your capacity for strength, for love, for carrying each other's burdens, for comfort. In modern psychology, there's this phrase, Casey, you want to put this phrase up? It'd be great. In modern psychology, there's this phrase called the window of tolerance. It was coined by Daniel, Dr. Daniel Siegel, uh, who um, is a professor, I think, of clinical psychology at UCLA, wrote a phenomenal book called Mindsight. He, uh, one of my favorite Google lectures is actually done by him on, on the mind and prayer. It's fascinating. Anyway, um, he, he coined uh, this phrase, the window of tolerance, and the gist of it, that's in case you want to look it up, because there's a ton of research on this and videos and all that kind of stuff for anybody who's interested, but um, the gist of the window of tolerance is that we all have this window, this, maybe it's better to kind of go like this, this window, this capacity to tolerate discomfort, to be agitated just a little bit. And when, when, we, when we experience something, when there's stimuli that becomes too much for us to tolerate, when it exceeds our capacity, what we do is we move into fight flight or freeze modes that's just what we do when i don't know how to tolerate what's going on anymore when i become so agitated by the uncomfortability of what i'm experiencing like every other human being i begin to fight flight flee or freeze i'm not talking about tolerating wickedness or evil if something's evil we ought to fight against it or run from it for sure okay but i'm talking about traffic or failures, like when you fail, getting interrupted, things you didn't expect that you now have to deal with, loneliness, boredom, maybe just other people in a room. No matter how smart, funny, or good-looking I am, no matter how many material resources I have, if you and I are driving together and I flip my lid because someone doesn't use their blinker, you're not going to think that I'm very rooted or grounded, no matter what my IQ is, no matter how many followers I have on a social media account. You'll realize that my capacity for discomfort, if it's just somebody who doesn't use a blinker, you will realize that my capacity for discomfort is very small. And rather than being adaptable and strong under various circumstances, you'll notice that I tend to need the world to bend to my comforts in order for me to keep my cool. And you will not evaluate me as somebody who is strong and safe. If I was to go stronger, if my capacity for discomfort was to grow, it actually, it turns out, will require more discomfort not everybody obeying rules like I would like them to. Our passage tonight is engaging in this kind of conversation, but specifically as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ and to our faith. It's not, it turns out, about traffic and interruptions and failures. It's about our entire life of faith that we're living before the face of God. Though, because it's about our life of faith, that also means it's about everything else. Because if you haven't learned this yet, there is, there's no inch of your life, there's no uh, s space in the universe 
And God is not interested in its redemption and in knowing his glory and bearing his glory. There is nothing off limits. The author of Hebrews invites us to imagine that every single Christian is in the middle of running a race. This is the metaphor, the primary metaphor here. Every single Christian is in the middle of running a race. And as we are running this race, we will require a few things. Or or rather, to say it this way, if we are to run the race well, it will require a few things. You have that list of things you can put up here, Casey? You are not alone. You need to leave behind anything slowing you down. You need to persevere and you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. And you can just leave this up. If your faith in Jesus or your life as a Christian is not going very well, I think it's very likely because one or more of these things isn't happening. So let me just look at these for a second. You're not alone. This is what truth sounds like. You're not alone, friends. We keep thinking we're alone. This is like a really common thing. We think we're alone. There's an epidemic of loneliness going across the country right now. The Surgeon General has literally said loneliness is such an epidemic and we have 15, we're 15 times more likely to die young from loneliness than we are from smoking a pack of cigarettes every day. It's a real problem. You are not alone. We keep thinking we're alone instead of looking at generation after generation after generation which has gone before us. We think we're alone instead of remembering that the same kinds of trials and sufferings are being experienced by our brothers and sisters all over the world. Your suffering matters. There are men and women and children suffering all over this world in all kinds of ways. This isn't just about my unique suffering, although that does matter. Other people know what it's like to suffer too. More importantly, there are examples of faithful perseverance and hope littered throughout the history of the church. This is why the author of Hebrews says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. That word witnesses is actually the word martyrs. This isn't people looking at you for entertainment, wanting to see how well you do and what score you get in God's kingdom. People who have suffered and are looking on and saying, you can do it, I know, because I've been there too. Two, you need to lay aside anything slowing you down. We are carrying things which slow us down. Obviously, sins do this. Behaviors and patterns of life which work in opposition to the kingdom of God. These things we keep in secret and in the dark which hinder us from running the race God has set before us. But, but not everything which slows us down is a sin. Not everything which slows us down is a sin. What is keeping us from following Jesus? What is slowing down our growth in our life? Anything. I gotta be super careful not to go off my notes, okay? But just let me give you just a small little example. Like right now I'm going to school again and and when I signed up for this school program, I, I knew for the next three years I'm not going to be able to watch as many movies as I normally like to. I don't think watching movies is a sin. But I know that if I'm watching lots of movies, I'm going to drag in my studies. That midterms and finals are going to be miserable. That I might not even finish the program. There are things which could just drag me down and slow me down. And, and, and school is not nearly as important as our entire life of faith lived before God. What do I need to lay aside and let go of and release because it's slowing me down and I'm dragging in this race? Three, truth sounds like perseverance. We give up too easily. 
The moment things get a little challenging or a little uncomfortable, we decide maybe this isn't the right thing. Maybe God doesn't want me to do this. You know? Maybe God's not calling me to this. There are things God has decreed. Yeah. There are things God has decreed that He will not do for you. He will not believe for you. He will not choose for you. He tells his disciples to go, for example, but he doesn't make them go. They have a decision to make in response to the command of their Lord, you see. When Jesus says to his disciples, go out into all the world and make disciples and baptize and teach. Summary, Matthew 28. When he says that, he doesn't make them go. They have to decide what to do in response to that command. There are things God will not do for you. They have, they have decisions to make, and so do you. You are on this race, and you have a decision to make about whether or not you will persevere when it's hard to keep going. You can, it turns out, bail. Well, more on that. Four. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. One of the most interesting features in this text, this is for Bible nerds potentially, but I find it really invigorating, um, this, this notion. Um, this author, at this moment in Hebrews chapter 12, he doesn't say Jesus Christ. The word Christ is a title. It's not Jesus' last name. It's, like a, it's a title. It's a kingly savior title. That, that refers to Jesus' fulfillment of the Israelite prophecies of God save, sending a savior and a king. The author doesn't call Jesus a king. He doesn't refer to Jesus as the son of God. It's, a really, it's interesting. It's like one of the only times he does this, maybe the only time he does this, where he doesn't say Jesus Christ. He just says Jesus. As if to say, fix your eyes maybe on the humanity of Jesus, on the one who has already showed you what it's like to endure as a human being, on the one who has suffered and finished the race. Fix your mind on him so that you do not grow weary and give up, and you have an example before you of what it looks like to finish well. If we are going to run the race set before us, we need to remember we're not alone, lay aside anything slowing us down, persevere, fix our eyes on Jesus. Okay, this is how, how this Hebrews 12 passage kicks off. We're not going to go through the whole passage, but, but that, that's, this is the gist here at the beginning. And, and I want you to see how this connects. Maybe you already do. Do you see how this connects with a tolerance for discomfort? If you believe you're alone, if you believe that, that you're carrying a bunch of dead weight making, or not if you believe, if you are carrying a bunch of dead weight making the race all the more difficult, if you give up easily, and if you have no example of what it looks like to do this, it would be so hard to tolerate the discomfort of persevering in a race like that. But if you are being cheered on by people who've already done it, if you're getting lighter on your feet as you go, if your perseverance keeps producing character and strength for you to run on and on, and you start noticing you're getting stronger, and you know that the one who will carry you to, and you know the one who will carry you to the end. If you know these things, if these things are happening, do you see how you might be able to tolerate a little more discomfort and go farther and faster than you could alone? 
Tonight, I don't, I'm not trying to motivate anybody here to, to suffer, okay? I'm not trying to motivate anybody to do that. Uh, there's enough of that that's just going to happen in this life. I am telling you that if you wish to grow, you'll need to go through some growing pains. And if you wish to grow in your faith, you'll need to go grow through some growing pains there too. If you wish to get stronger in your faith, like anything else, some discomfort will be required. And unfortunately, one of the lies that we are prone to believe is that when we are uncomfortable or even suffering, we think something wrong is happening to us. Maybe even that God is against us. I want to suggest that the truth is probably precisely the opposite. So two things in response to all this. First, Sometimes suffering is just because of our actions or somebody else's actions. Maybe the reason I was single is because I didn't know how to listen or honor somebody of the opposite sex. Maybe it's not God punishing me. Maybe I just don't know how to listen and honor somebody well. Maybe the reason that I was in a terrible relationship for a a number of months in my mid-20s isn't because God was, how could God let me do this or something? Maybe, maybe that's not it. Or, or Satan was somehow against me in a peculiar way. Maybe it's just because I made a couple of really dumb decisions. It, it is, actually. That's actually exactly why. I was in a terrible relationship for a number of months. And, and I kept making dumb decisions. Maybe the reason I don't have a job is because I haven't been looking diligently and paying attention to what companies need and are asking for, and working on skill sets, and behaviors, and communication, that which, would, which they would recognize and, and reward. Maybe that's all it is. Sometimes the discomfort or suffering that we're going through is just the direct fallout of our own decision-making, y'all. If I eat a bunch of terrible food, I am going to feel terrible later. It would be absurd for me to just pound a bunch of pizza and drink a two liter of Coke and then yell at God for why my stomach is upset. Other times, suffering is because of somebody else's decisions or evil. If someone hurts me, I can, I can, I have cried out to God, why did you let this happen? You can do that. God is a big boy. He can take it. But the truth is, If I'm really wanting to dig into that question, why did you let this happen? I'm asking a much bigger question. Why did you create a world, God, with human agency and the possibility of suffering at all? Because much of the discomfort and suffering we experience in the world is a direct result of there being consequences for human agency. When I am lazy, when I am unhealthy, when I make poor decisions, there just are consequences, and those consequences don't just fall on me. They fall upon you guys too. And similarly, I can be uncomfortable or suffer or experience pain because of other people's evil and suffering in this world. And so the first thing to say about this in in response of the two things is when we are uncomfortable and suffering, that doesn't mean God is punishing us or forgetting us. Often the discomfort or suffering we experience is the direct result of living in a universe with cause and effect dynamics. Second, so so if you hear my point, some of us have maybe even taught this, maybe it's, I I don't know where this comes from, but some of us 
you know, well, we eat the pizza and drink the Coke and then we think God is punishing us. As if our decisions and our activity doesn't matter in God's universe, and it, it just does. Okay, second. Sometimes God doesn't, does invite, this is real, He does invite discomfort and suffering into our lives. Sometimes this does happen. The author of Hebrews reminds his readers, um, he, he begins to move into a parenting metaphor to explain this, okay? That earthly parents, when they care about their children's growth, introduce discipline as a way to help their children mature and get stronger. This is a really helpful framework for understanding discomfort and suffering inherent to our growth in Christ-likeness. Okay, that, that, that discomfort and suffering we experience in the growth God, in the things God is doing in our lives is because God is trying to help us mature and grow stronger. So take this, if you were hanging out with me at my house for a few days and you noticed that, that one of my kids was misbehaving like crazy, they're rude to my wife, they're rude to you, and then they were just unhealthy in a lot of the decisions they were making, and I just sat there silently, I just didn't do anything. I never got involved you would think I'm abandoning my post as a father. Imagine I just let one of my children eat whatever they want, whenever they want, sleep when they want or not, do whatever they want, and they're losing sleep, failing in school, not growing in maturity, not growing in maturity and that check gets cashed in adulthood. They will not look back later, like when they're 30, 40, 50. They're not going to look back later and say, Dad, thank you so much for being an absentee dad. That was really cool that you were so afraid of confrontation and, of, you know, whatever, um, that you just let me, like, decide my life when I was 11. That was really cool, you know? That, that's never going to happen. Now, I could, of course, go the opposite route. I could discipline my children in unjust ways or be harsh with them, sure. And that, too, is abandoning my post as a good father. But the point here is simply that discipline from a loving parent is aimed at growth and maturity, not punishment. When I'm thinking about, my, my oldest right now is 15, and it is, I actually would love, if any of you have really great wisdom on what to do with cell phones for a 15-year-old, I'd love it, okay, from your own experiences. Um, I, like, I just, I'm like, what do I do that will help him grow and not hate me at the same time? You know, it's quite challenging, uh, but I want him to grow. This is the kind of metaphor that the author of Hebrews is drawing on when he begins to think about the kind of discipline we experience from our Heavenly Father. God is at work to grow our capacity, our strength, to mature us into the likeness of Christ, which I, I just realized I'm using that language assuming that that is something if you call yourself a Christian you want. Some of us have been trained in, in traditions which make Christianity just out to be like a get-out-of-jail-free card, that the only reason to do this is to get out of the earth and make sure you go to heaven one day instead of hell. And we say things like, well, if I wasn't a sinner, I wouldn't need Christ, and I'm like, that's not, no, we follow Jesus because we love him, y'all. We follow, it'd be like, they'd be like saying, well, if I didn't need to be in a relationship, I'd leave my wife, you know? I actually just love her. Like, this whole thing is a love affair between God and his people. And he's inviting you to grow in maturity, to have a richer relationship with him and the cosmos and one another. Okay, that's not in my notes. I got to keep going. Okay. Often, friends, you will experience discomfort or suffering in your walk with the Lord. You will. That is not something that you should discern on your own, in your room, by yourself. 
That is something you need to discern with friends, trusted mentors, pastors. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, this same book, tells us that our, our powers of discernment grow through practice. But when the Lord is doing something like this and introducing discomfort into our lives, it is not because He doesn't like you. It is precisely because He does like you and He is out to make you stronger and more able than you ever were before. He is often knocking down a house of cards in order to build something more solid. That's what He's up to. And as this is happening, you are not alone. It's happening with all of us. But you will need to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to you and slows you down. And though God will give you the opportunity and strength to do it, you will have decisions to make to stay the course. You will need to persevere if you want that peaceful fruit that comes on the other side of training. You can, in fact, decide to duck out early. You can avoid training. You can close your eyes and fall asleep, some of us. Others of us can buck against all the discipline and training, but then you shouldn't expect the fruit that comes with the training. Many people, for example, want the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, but do not live in the way that He says they will experience that peace. And then finally, fix your eyes on Jesus so you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. The kind of endurance God is calling us to is not something Jesus avoided, friends. He went through it first. And at the center of the tremendous mystery of our faith is that God is able to sympathize with us. He knows what it's like to go through what you're going through. He knows what it is to suffer. God knows what it is to be uncomfortable. God knows what it's like to be misunderstood, to be betrayed, to be lonely to hear daggers of silence when he prays to the Father. God knows what it's like, friends. You are not alone. It is a great lie that every form of discomfort and suffering is bad for us. The truth is God is at work to increase our capacity for discomfort, to increase our window of tolerance for discomfort, to make us stronger in this world in order that we might have a greater capacity to love others and, and to, uh, to enter into the suffering and discomfort of others because we have a greater capacity to hold all of that. This growth comes through the discomfort of strengthening our spiritual and emotional and physical and relational muscles. It's called maturity. And if we skirt out from under every form of discomfort, we just will not grow. We will change, but we will not grow. Instead, we'll become people who are less and less able to carry heavy things. We will become less able to bear each other's burdens, less able to suffer for a friend. If we will not tolerate discomfort, that instead of going out into the world with courage and love, we will demand that the rest of the world comforts us. And that does not look like Jesus. How can we expect to visit people in prison if we will not tolerate the discomfort of being in a foreign environment? How can we expect to care for widows and orphans if we will not tolerate the discomfort of sacrificial giving? How can we expect to listen to others when we will not tolerate the discomfort of silence? How can we expect to love our enemies if we will not even tolerate the discomfort of our friends? How can we expect to comfort the afflicted and the dying 
if we will not consider the discomfort of our own mortality? What if, what if in the years to come, what if the church in your generation was known for its resilience? What if the church in your generation was known for its capacity to tolerate discomfort in the name of love? What if in your generation the church said yes to the training of the Holy Spirit and your capacity and love for love is greater than anything we've seen in decades? Friends, you have no idea what you're capable of. God does. He intends to grow you into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That would be a great exercise, is to look at yourself in the mirror one day and say, God intends to grow you into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Say yes to what he's doing in your life. Even if it's, maybe especially if it's stretching you and it's uncomfortable as he's leading you into new patterns of life and new areas of growth. Because when you're new to anything, it's uncomfortable. Say yes. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. I want to close tonight by just reading our passage one last time in the message translation. If it's helpful for you to close your eyes, it's great. This is a wonderful color in this translation. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down and start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. And when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you. To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat their children and that God regards you as his? My dear children, don't shrug off God's disciplines. Don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents would leave their children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what's best for us training us to live God's holy best at the time. I know, discipline is not fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall. So no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out. 
and run for it.